Guys, this is called Man to Man. It's a, a, a part of the Bridge Men Ministry. And the topics that we've been discussing last season and moving into this season are is gatekeepers. How many are new to Man to Man for just this season? We're, we're not here last season. Okay, let me kind of give you an idea of what we mean by gatekeepers. Gatekeepers are, um, are, are guys or people in general that, that have a sphere of influence. Um, if you're married, you, that's your gate. If, if you have a job, that's your gate. If you're a dad, that's your gate. You have these different areas that God has packaged you to be such that you are, you're supposed to stand there for him. And what we've talk, talked about over the period of time is that gatekeepers have been set free to do God's good in their gates. We have been set free from sin. We've been set free from guilt to do God's good in those gates. And guys, we don't have to give up ground in those gates. You look at what's going on in the world today. You, even what happened in Las Vegas, that ter terrible tragedy there. All the evil that, of the things that are going on. And you see what's going on there and you say, you know, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Those of us in our gates over the last 30 or so years stopped standing. We, we, we turned the wheel over to the enemy because we thought, well, we can't really have a say. We gotta, it's not politically correct. And guys, I don't care about politically correct. We have been given a job to stand in our gates. And that's what this study is about, is how do you do that? Last season, we, we introduced the concept of gatekeepers. This season, it's the giant killer edition. The giants in our lives are those things that are in the way. David had to get through the kill zone of that valley, but he had to get through Goliath to do it. And that's exactly what he did. He believed God, and he killed the giant. And our theme here for this season is believe God, kill giants. And every one of us in here, have in our gates, we have certain areas that we are stymied by. It's, if our marriage is not right, if our, our job is not right, our finances are not right, our health is not right, there's something in there that is a giant. And for so many years in my own life, and so many of us have for so long felt like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's too big. It's a giant. Well, that wasn't what David said. He saw, he saw a giant that was, in essence, defying God. He said, you can't defy God. I believe God. I'm going to kill that giant. If there's a giant in your life that is defying God's ability to do what God wants to do in your life, you've got to kill that giant. And so what we're talking about for this first half of the season is how to do that. Last week, we talked about fellowship. Now, we have, we talk, we've talked about the fact that for the most part, especially guys, you'll identify with this, for the most part, we have feminized fellowship. It is something that the girls do because they get together and then they chat and they talk about their feelings and they, and they you, know, you know, it's sweet. That's what the girls do. But that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think, that fellowship is just something for the girls to do. But yet throughout Scripture, it talks about the power of us connecting, the power of us connecting. It says in uh, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, who is there? Jesus is there. Now, that is not a small thing, guys. Jesus is God. With two or three right now, with us all gathered together, Jesus is here. Everything about Jesus is here. Every characteristic about Jesus is here. His love, his grace, his power. That is a weapon to be wielded. And we also look back in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. It says, I say that two or three of you gather, agree on something in prayer. 
I'm going to do it, God says. So, guys, if you have a giant, what is one way to kill the giant? Based on uh, Matthew 18, verse 19. What's that? Gather together. Find somebody in this room, find somebody in your life that you can agree with in prayer about that giant. And guys, that giant's going to go away. It's either true or God's a liar. And God's not a liar. That is a weapon to be wielded. Now, we assigned last time for you guys to do this. For guys to get together, find ways to connect. How many, did any of you do that over, over the last few weeks? If you did, raise your hand. Does anybody want to share briefly any story about that? About the, maybe God taught you something? Yeah, go ahead. Is that something you and your buddy John prayed about, talked about together? Okay. Believe God, you're going to kill the giants. There's going to be a response. Some of the, sometimes that response is pretty quick. Sometimes it takes some time. But it either is going to be a response or God's a liar, and God's not a liar. So we talked about the weaponizing of our fellowship. And tonight we're going to talk about the weaponizing of the Word, about how the Word has been, in many cases, we have religionized the Bible. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, about why it's the Bible. And we're not talking about the ink on the pages, guys. We're talking about God's word, his actual words, and, and our words and how that goes together. And the question is, is, is the Bible, the word of God, our words that we speak, um, have we religionized that, our prayers, uh, when we read the word? Or is there an aspect of all of this, the Bible, God's word, that is weaponized? that is a weapon to be wielded. I mean, religion looks at the word of God and says, well, there's knowledge there, there's counsel there, there's guidance, there's some good stuff there. And all of that is true. Every bit of that is true. But my question to you tonight is, what if there's more? What if there is a whole lot more that God intended when it comes to what he says to us? I've asked our pastor, Gary Martin, to, um, to come and talk to us about that tonight, to, to give us his perspective of, of how maybe the word is weaponized and how we can use it 
to, to wield this weapon of the word in such a way that it makes a difference. It kills giants. And we're going to have, I'm asking our pastor to come. He's going to speak. He's the man. He's the dude. He's the legend. He's going to come up and do this tonight. And then after that, we're going to have a discussion around these tables about how we're going to kill giants with the word of God. So let's give Gary a hand and bring him on up. Uh, if I'm a legend, I don't know what to say about that, except I'm a legend in my own mind, maybe. Hey, thanks for being here tonight. Really am glad you're here. I'm excited to share. But before I get into what we're going to talk about, let me just do two things real quickly. Number one, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be leaving here, leaving town, going to India for a couple of weeks. Got some teaching to do there. A couple of men's conferences, men's conferences in India, men's ministry in India is a little different than it is here in the States, uh, but it's, it's really fruitful. I've been there the last two years. God's done some really cool things. Going to do two men's conferences, two leadership day conferences, and then a, a church conference over one full weekend. And I just want you guys to do me a favor, okay? Be praying for me as I'm gone. Uh, these trips uh, that we do to India, they are absolutely a lot of work. It's, it's not vacation. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit challenging at times. But be praying for me, okay? Because I, I know a lot of the women are praying, but I'd feel better if the men were praying. Because, you know, the, the women would be praying that my hair doesn't get messed up and my clothes don't get dirty. I'm not worried about any, either one of those things. I'm, worried about other, I'm not worried about anything, but I'm concerned about other things. So be praying for me, okay? Okay, you got ahead of me. We were going to do this at the end here, but guys, I like you to write just now. It's going to take a little moving around with some chairs. Come on up. Let's lay hands on this on our pastor and let's pray for him. Come on up. Let's just lift up your, your voices just now in prayer over our pastor. And Lord, we pray just now, we, we thank you for a man of God that we can call our pastor, Lord, that loves you, that understands your power, that understands, Lord, that there is a job to be done, is willing to take the risk to do that. Lord, we, we lift him up. We lift him up in a way, Lord, that he'll see you move in, in India and Nepal and every place else he's going to be, Lord, even on the airplane, Lord, that you'll see that your power will just fill him and your spirit will move in such a way, Lord, that, that lives will be changed, gates of the hell will be destroyed, Lord, that the gates of the ministries there in, in where he's going, Lord, will only expand, Lord, in massive ways, Lord. May he be the blessing there that he is here. Lord, we thank you for him. Be with his wife and family, Lord, as, as they're back here, Lord, and, and um, just be with them, keep them safe as well and, and, and without worry. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, that for Gary's safety. Lord, we know that you've got this. We know that, yeah, that you're going to bring him home safe to us. We thank you for that, Lord. Whether he, whatever, whatever machine he's riding in, whatever, um, whatever road he's on, Lord, we, we give that, Lord, 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 to you that you'll bring him home safely to us, Lord. Give him the energy, supernatural energy, Lord, because it's going to be exhausting. And I pray, Lord, when he comes back, Lord, he'll be able to tell us awesome stories of how you, the God of creation, the wonderful God of creation, Lord, moved in this ministry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Go ahead and find your seats. One of the things I learned a few days ago is the, the area where we go in India, it's, it's, it's north-central India. It's up right by the Nepal border. So 
We're going to spend two or three days in Nepal doing ministry there. The rest of the time we'll be in North India. But we'll be up close to the China border at the, in the base of the Himalayas, really. And so I'm going to get to take a, about an hour, hour and a half helicopter ride up through those mountains. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. My wife is a little nervous about it, but I'm excited about it. So keep her in your prayers as well. So when I finish tonight, i got to go home pack. So I'm going to slip out kind of early when I'm finished. So please don't take that personal. It's just something I need to do for my own sake. Uh, but number two, second thing, we're in the man-to-man giant killers edition. How do you kill giants? How many of you know what a giant killer looks like? I got a picture. I want you to see. Here's, here's what a giant killer looks like right here. Can we get that picture on the screen? There he is. There's a giant killer right there. <laughs> Somebody can't see. That's Doug. He is a giant killer. And he, he, he needed you to see that tonight, okay? But seriously, you know, we have an adversary. We have an adversary. Scripture calls him the devil. We have an adversary, the devil, and he will take from us everything that we allow him to take, even the blessings that God means for us. You know, two Sundays ago when I was in this series uh, on the names of God, Old Testament compound names, in this series, you know, who are you? I talked about the Lord of hosts. David spoke about the Lord of hosts just before he killed Goliath. The Lord is the Lord of all the armies. But in order to enjoy God's blessings, we have to understand we have an adversary. We do have an adversary. John 10, 10, Jesus talked about it. He said, we have an adversary. He comes, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you go back to the very beginning of Scripture and walk this out, what you learn is, as soon as God put his blessing on Adam and Eve in the garden, from that moment, the enemy began to work to devalue everything that God valued in them. And that's what he's trying to do to us, to devalue the beauty and the blessing that God wants to put in our lives. So he steals, he kills, he destroys in a lot of different ways. But this adversary, the devil, will also put things in our lives that God never intended to be there that keep us from God's blessings. And we have to understand, you know, Paul talked about this in the King James. He said it this way, you need to be aware of the wiles of the devil. What it means is the schemes. You need, to be that, that, you need to be aware that the devil has these schemes and he works in a lot of different deceiving ways trying to take God's blessing out of our lives. There are battles to fight. There are battles to be won. But in order to win those battles, we must be willing to engage the enemy. Got to be willing to engage. So tonight, in the next few minutes, I'm going to share three thoughts with you. You've got an outline there. You can fill in the blanks as we go. We'll start in just a moment. But I want to share three simple thoughts with you that really set up what we're talking about with God's Word and warfare. Um, one of the things I, I want to begin with tonight, and this is not in your outline. I want to throw this in in the introduction, though. When you, when you look at David when he killed Goliath, if you study that story, I mean, there's like 10 sermons in that one story right there. There's so much there. Doug talked about it last year, did a great job. I shared a little bit of it uh, two Sundays ago. But I want to go back to it for a minute because one of the things that I think we fail to understand is how do we know 
which battles are ours to win? How do we know which battles are ours to win? Well, can I just tell you that anything that is contrary to God's word, God's way of life, God's promises, that's a battle God wants you to win. But let me say it to you this way. When David got ready to go out and fight Goliath, I mean, even before he left camp, he started this theme. He started calling him an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, in Israel, that talked about covenant with God. What he was saying was, that enemy is not in covenant with God. That enemy is not a part of God's will and a part of God's plan. And that enemy cannot be allowed to torment us and mock us. But if you flip that thing around, I think he's also insulting the enemy. You uncircumcised Philistine. You've got no place here among us. You don't belong here among us. You don't have God's mark on you. And I'm going to bring you to the ground. Here's what David did. David went out to fight Goliath, but before he went, he named his enemy. You uncircumcised Philistine. He knew what God's plan was for God's people and for the nation. And he said, you're not going to keep us from being everything God wants us to be and having everything God wants us to have. We as men need to have a determination in our hearts that the devil is not going to take anything from us that we're supposed to have. We have to have that determination. And then on top of that, you need to be able to go to God's word and name that enemy and say, this is why you can't have it. Because God said this about you, therefore, I'm going to put this label on you and I'm going to fight you and fight against you until I run you out of my life. That needs to be a determination in our hearts. Now, let's get into the outline. We're going to look at just a moment at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. If you've got your Bibles, open up there. Ephesians 6, verse 17. Pretty familiar verse of Scripture. Ephesians 6, verse 17. Number one, realize that one of your weapons is the sword of the Spirit. If we're going to win battles and kill giants, we have to realize that we have a weapon that's called the sword of the Spirit. Realize that one of your weapons is the sword of the Spirit. Now let's look at, at Ephesians six seventeen. And, now just a minute, let me explain this to you. And, Paul is, is telling us about God's armor. And, and, so this is at the end of his, or near the end of his statement about God's armor. He's been listing God's armor. He comes to this place. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Paul said, the Word of God is our sword of the spirit now we, we don't use swords today at least most of us don't you know unless you're into fencing and so forth but we understand the, the principle we watch enough tv and movies to, to get the hang of it the sword of the spirit is the word of god now i don't know if you've ever thought about this but let me walk you through this for a minute when paul is laying out the armor here's what he says he says there's a helmet that is what? Our salvation. Salvation is our helmet, which makes us think like we're saved. Okay? Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, which means from our inward being, we have right intentions guiding our lives. He said our loins are gird with truth. 
which means that everything that comes out of me is truthful and honest. He said, on our feet we have the preparation of the gospel of peace. So my intentions are everywhere I go, I take the peace of God with me. And then he says, you've got this shield, the shield of faith. Okay? All of those things, basically, basically all of those things are defensive weapons. Okay? It's the armor of God. So he says, take and put on the whole armor of God. Here's what you need to understand. If you're a child of God, that armor is available to you. God has put it on you. Some of us are wearing armor and we don't even know we're wearing armor. Okay? You don't see it on me. It's because it's under armor. Okay? It's under what you see. But we have armor of God. But notice this. He lays out all this defensive armor and then he says, and take the sword of the Spirit. Can you imagine going to battle and not having an offensive weapon? Can you imagine going into a boxing ring and say, you going to throw any punches? No, I'm just going to block punches. You're going to lose that fight because there's going to be one or two of them that get through. He said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What he's saying is, all these other things will defend you. But, but here's what I believe, and I'm going to dive into this stuff in just a moment, but here's what I believe. I believe a lot of Christians today think the Word of God is their shield. It's not your shield. Everybody smile at me. It's not your shield. Oh, I'm just going to stand behind the Word of God. No, you stand behind your faith in God's Word. If you want to kill giants, you've got to get an offensive weapon. And he's given us one. He's given us the only one we need. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, Doug quoted this a few minutes ago, Hebrews 4.12. We'll throw it on the screen. You can look at it. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the verse. You can read it for yourself. I don't want to get off on another direction with this. But, but I want you to look at the first part of that verse. The Word of God is living. I also think most Christians believe this is, when you open up this Bible, it's ink on a page. Or ink on several pages. This is ink on a page. No, this is not ink on a page. It's written as ink on a page, but this is alive. Turn to somebody close to you and say, that, that thing's alive. Now, now, I want you to hear this. This is the most precious and powerful thing that I own. This is the most precious and powerful possession I have right here. Because it's alive. It talks to me. It gives me direction. It gives me wisdom. But if I don't believe that this is alive, what am I going to do with it? Eh, I don't know. I don't know where to read. You know, it's just, it's just a lot of good stuff in there. Like Doug said, a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. And I'm sure it would help me. But you know what? I'm just a busy guy. If I believe this is alive, then the next thing I know is it's alive and it's powerful. There's power in this. When I'm weak, here's where I go because there's power in it. And it's sharper than any of the two edges. What does that mean? It's, it's not only more powerful. If you go to war, there's no enemy who's got a weapon as sharp as this one. Now, we don't, we don't think in terms of swords. We think in terms of guns and you know, laser cannons and all kinds of stuff. But there is no weapon better than this weapon right here. 
So we need to understand, number one, realize that one of your weapons is the sword of the Spirit. It's your sword of the Spirit. We need to begin to think of this as, this is what I use to win battles. Danny, this is what I use to win battles right here. I have people come sit in my office, tell me their situations in life sometimes. I wind up telling them, all I know is this right here. But this is all you need to know. Because this is the best weapon there is. We need to stop seeing this as our shield and start seeing it as our sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. Now, one question I want to ask you right here. What is God's Word to you? What is God's Word to you? What is this book to you? What is it? Is it ink on a page? Is it just some old stuff some old guys wrote down a long time ago and they just passed it on and put it in other languages so everybody could read that literature? Is that what it is? What is God's word to you? Because see, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what, what this is to me. It doesn't matter what this is to me. What is it to you? Is it alive? Is it powerful? Is it a sword? If it is, then you can take on and kill giants. If it's not, then you are fodder for the enemy. Number two, after I realize that this is a weapon, number two, I need to believe what God says. Now we're not we're not going we're not going in a different direction talking about faith. Okay, I'm staying on topic. We need to believe what God says. What do you think about this? Do you believe it? Which part of it? Why are the stories in there? You know, when I was a young minister, God really turned me on to something in Scripture. Paul made the statement, he said, everything that was written to Israel in the Old Testament, it was written as an example and an admonition for us, something to learn from. When I understood that, I began to dig into the Old Testament. Now, all those stories I'd heard and all those stories I'd read as a kid and heard about as a young preacher, uh, all of a sudden those stories became lessons for my life because Paul said they were written for me to learn from. And I began to see how God's Word from cover to cover will speak to us. But the question is, and number two, do we believe what God says? Believe what God says. I must believe what God says. Here's what Hebrews eleven six 6 says. I quote this all the time. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What do I need to believe? I need to believe what he says. There is a little book, and a lot of different publishers have put it out. They put it out in different forms, put their own name on it. But basically, it's called God's promises, or God's promises for your every need. If you don't know much about Scripture, I encourage you to get one of those books. Sometimes we have it in our, in our coffee shop on Sunday morning. It's available there. God's promises, or God's promises for your every need, or God's promises for men, whatever it is. It's just jam full. The book is just jam full of God's promises to you. If you don't know God's promises to you, then you don't know what the enemy has the right to take away from you. You don't know what's rightfully yours if you don't know God's promises. If you know God's promises, then you have a right to grab a hold of those and fight with this word and put the enemy in his place. But you got to know 
and then believe what God says. Now, in, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus gave us this verse, and I, I'm going to take it out of context for a minute because there's a, a lot of teaching in the previous verse and the next verse. But I, I want to just show it to you for a minute. Mark 11:24. a lot of you know this. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. A lot of people grab that and they, they do the goofiest things. Oh, hallelujah, God, I want to win the lottery. Do you know how many people on, sun, on Tuesday afternoons and Friday or Saturday, whatever it is, do you know how many Christians are praying that prayer? Oh, God, I want to win the lottery. Well, just the ones that bought tickets, obviously. But, but here's my point. We ask for goofy stuff because we don't know what he's promised to us. And when we ask for things that he's promised to us, we can ask in faith. If I'm asking off the wall stuff, you know, oh, God, kill this person. God, kill that person. He's not going to do that. He's not interested in that. Even if it's your in-laws, he's not interested in that. I'm trying to be funny, okay? You guys lighten up. Some of you have been, been awake since too early this morning. But here's my point. Jesus said, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe you receive them. There's a process there. Believe you receive them, and then you will have them. The most important thing that any believer can do is believe what God says. If I, if I were to break down Christianity... What does God want from me? What's the one thing God wants from me? He wants to be believed. That's where it all begins. And he wants you one thing at a time to believe everything he says to you. Now, in your notes, I'm going to show you some things here. The only authority, the only authority the devil has in my life is what I give him. The only authority the devil has in my life is what I give him. What do I mean by that? What do, I, what do I mean by that? The only authority, how many of you know what authority is? Authority means I have a legal right to be somewhere or do something. The only, the only legal authority the enemy has in my life is what I give him, what I allow him to, to be there and do. Okay? Let me explain it to you this way. Satan Scripture says he's a liar, and he's a father of lies. So if he tries to tell you something, what do you know based on what Scripture says? He lies a lot. You, you know, have you ever heard the old expression, you know, somebody's got a lying spirit, they'll, they'll tell a lie even when the truth would work better? That's where the devil is. He, can, he cannot tell the truth. He's a liar. Everything he says, he twists stuff. Going back to the beginning of time. So what does he want you to do? He, want you, he wants you to question, well, did God really say that? That's the first thing he said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Did God re you, need to, you need to get into this. You need to read this book that this theologian wrote about that. No, what we need to do is go back and take God at his word and see what God said about it. And as men, we need to see ourselves 
when it comes to our marriages, our families, our jobs, every gate, every area of life that God's given us, we need to see ourselves as giant killers and as warriors who are standing there saying, nothing comes in except what this book says can come in, and nothing is taken out of my life except what this book says I don't need. Because we've become so complacent in the church world. We let the devil, the thief, come in and steal and kill and destroy and say, well... That must have been God's will. If it doesn't say it's God's will in here, then stop believing it's God's will and start fighting the devil. Start fighting. Start fighting. The only authority the devil has in my life is the authority I, I give him. Or in other words, what I believe he can do. When he keeps telling me, I'm going to destroy your marriage, or I'm going to destroy your kids, or I'm going to take this away, you're going to lose your job, you're, not, you're going to lose your house, you're going to lose everything. When you start hearing all that stuff, go back and say, is that God's will for me? If it's not God's will for you, then throw it in the trash, tell him he's a liar, and start standing up to him. Because if you don't, he will plant his legal right. And the only legal right he has in your life is what you believe he has. The only legal right he has is the authority I give him to say, yeah, you can come and take my stuff. You can come and take my family. You can take my kids. You can take my wife. And, well, I'll just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Well, you might get there that way, but it's not a very fun ride getting there. Because God wants us to kill giants. Now, the next statement in your notes, by contrast, the only authority God has in my life it's what I give him. It's the same principle. Now let, let me explain this to you in a real simple illustration. How many of you remember when you committed your life to the Lord? How many of you know that up to that time, he had not been doing all the things he said he would do for you? Why? Because you are created with your own will. You have the will to let him in or keep him out. And until you let him in, he cannot legally come and do what he wants to do in your life. But the minute you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, he died for your sins, he was raised from the dead, the minute you embraced that, you were born of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God moved in you. And when that happened, all of a sudden, God had the legal right, the legal authority to start blessing your life and doing things in your life. Now, did God do some gracious things along the way before that? Probably. But legally, legally, the only right he has is the right we give him by what we believe. So once, here's where, here's where the rubber begins to meet the road right here. Once we become Christians, we have a responsibility to learn God's word and to begin to embrace it and believe it that it's for us. It's for me. See, God will bless us all in different ways and different measures. But God wants to bless every one of us. Every area of our lives. Read the book. Read the promises. He wants to bless our lives. But we have got to be willing to fight for our trust in God. And as Paul said, fight the fight of faith to believe what God has said. I'll put these two together. If the only legal right that God has is what you give him, what you believe he can do and will do, and if the only legal right that the enemy has is what you believe him for, then who are you going to believe? Who do you want to believe? See, I can get up and preach every Sunday morning. Oh, that's a good message. Good message. It's not about here. It's about here. What do you believe? Is this true or is it not true? 
Why? Because when you embrace it and you believe it, that gives God authority to start working in your life. When you say, oh, I'm not so sure about that one. That gives the enemy authority to do just the opposite. This is good. I don't know if anybody else is having fun. I'm having fun with this. See, we're, look around the room. We got young guys, we got middle-aged guys. We almost have a couple of older guys, almost, not quite. Okay? We, we got a, we've got a widespread of guys here in this room, and I love this. I love it. I mean, Doug even took his tie off tonight. He came straight from work, took his tie off. We got guys here in jeans, got guys in shorts, we got guys dressed all kinds of ways. But you know what I can tell you by looking around this room? These are men. We are men. We don't need to be women. We don't need to sit back and hope somebody will come take care of us and provide for us. We need to be men and stand up and say, this is true, and I believe it. it's God's word. Therefore, I'm going to start fighting with this word. I'm going to start using this word to fight. Now, let me tie one thing to this before we move on. You hear this a lot around here. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, be not conformed to the world. Don't be like everybody else. Don't be like the world and those who don't know. Don't be like the uncircumcised Philistines. Okay? How many, know what, how many of you know what circumcision and uncircumcision is? Okay? Well, we're in church. We can't laugh about that. Yeah, you can. It's okay to laugh about that for a minute. Okay, your wives aren't here, so it's okay to laugh about it. We're men, okay? Don't be like the uncircumcised Philistines. Let the mark of God be put on your life. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, stop thinking the way the enemies taught you to think and start thinking based on what this book says about you. This book says an amazing, a lot of amazing things about you. Not just me, you and you and you, you. Every one of us, God has got amazing plans and promises in this book. And we need to get into this book and know what he said about us. And we need to start believing it. Because if we do, then we'll begin to stand up to the enemy and say, wait just a minute here, you can't do that. But we got to know what God has said. That's what Romans 12, 2 is all about. It's about transforming our minds, thinking differently, learning to think by what God says rather than by what somebody else says about us. And the question there at the bottom of section 2, how far and how long do you believe God's word? How far, how long do you believe God's word? Can you stand up to opposition? Can you believe until it's fulfilled? Because here's what happens. Some battles take a while. And, and let me tell you, before I go into number three, this is the last thing I'm going to share about this. Some of you know this, and you haven't totally figured it out. When you start believing God for something, there's always this thing called time. I want it when? Right now. Yeah, in some cases yesterday. You know, I need it post-dated, actually, for this to work right. <laughs> I want God to do this, and I want it right now. The problem is, and I use this expression a lot, you know, for God to answer some prayers, he's got to find a way to get it into our lives. And sometimes he has to move furniture around the universe to get stuff to us. Sometimes he's got to move people's hearts to get things to us. 
And so God's not bound by time, but we are. And we're worrying about this stuff. We're on this deadline. We've got this problem. God's shuffling stuff around. God's getting ready to do what we've asked him to do. And in the meantime, what are we doing? Well, I used this thing and I swung it a couple times. and I felt good about it for a while, but it doesn't look so good right now. I'm getting closer to the deadline. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Here's what I want you to understand. While you are waiting on God to answer prayer, you have to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting. Because there are unseen things going on in the realm of the spirit that you don't know anything about. God is trying to get that to you. That's why this is called the sword of the spirit, not the sword of the flesh. Not the sword of reason, it's the sword of the spirit. It's what God says. And we have to graduate to this place where we learn God's word and we believe it and believe it and believe it until we begin to use this thing like a weapon. Because here's what happens, and here's, here's my final statement here. Satan will keep fighting you until he's convinced that you believe what you say you believe. That's why the first time you swing it, he doesn't... He may back away, he may get sliced, but he just keeps coming back. Well, why does the enemy keep coming back? It's, it's supposed to be like the, what is it, Star Wars thing? Yeah, the lightsaber. The, the, the two guys that know about it, it's the one that drinks raspberry sparkle and the one that drinks lavender coffee or lavender tea, whatever it is. Why, why is that? You turn on the lights, man, I hit him with it. The devil ought to be dead. No, 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 he's going to keep coming against you. It's the sword of the spirit. They're going to keep fighting you. Well, why, why does the enemy keep fighting me? Because the only, the only part of the battle is he has to know what you believe. And once he knows what you believe and you're not backing off of it, he's got to back off and walk away. So don't quit fighting. Number three, just ahead of myself a little bit. Number three, so use your sword. Use your sword. Use this. Now let me, let me show you. I'm almost finished here. Remember in, in, in Matthew 7, you know, Matthew, actually back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus has given us what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. He says, a wise man will hear what I'm saying and he'll do it. Let me, let me rephrase it for you. He will hear what I'm saying and he'll use it. This word becomes a sword. He will hear what I'm saying He'll believe it and he will use it. That's what Jesus said. But he said the foolish man just hears it. Now James talked about the same thing in James chapter 1. He said let us not just be hearers of the word. Let us be doers of the word. Can I play on words for a minute? Let us not be just hearers of the sword. Let us be doers of the sword. Let us not just hear that we have a sword. Let us use the sword. Let us use it. That's God's will for us. Now, let me wrap this thing up. I've got three things in a question here. Number one, the power of prayer. We men get intimidated, most of us. Because, you know, we need, we need stuff in little bitty pieces, little bitty chunks, so we can kind of sort it out as we go. You know, We're not the multitaskers, most of us. We don't have both sides of our brain connected very well like the women do, okay? But, but here, here's the thing. 
We have to understand that when we're struggling with stuff, don't just go to God and say, oh God, I'm struggling with temptation or I'm struggling with this problem or you know, this is going on in my family or this is going on at job or in my finances, this is what's happening or you know, whatever it might be. Don't just go to God and, 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 and grumble about stuff and whine about stuff. I'm, for many years, I come from a family. Man, that, that's our family crest, grumblers and whiners. You know, you go whine about everything. Whine, 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 whine. And I've decided I'm breaking that. I'm breaking that in my generation with my part of the family. Why? Because you don't need to go to God and whine. Several years ago, I was walking around this church property during the recession when it was at its worst, and our church was in a tough place. And I'm out there telling God all the problems, and God spoke to me so clearly and said, quit talking to, talking to me about the problems and start talking to me about the solutions and the answers. You know what he said? What he was saying was, start talking to me about the promises. Get the sword out. Don't sit back and whine because you got battles. Get the sword out and start fighting. So here's what I'm saying to you. When you talk to God, be honest. God, I'm, man, I, I know what you promised, but I'm struggling with this. I'm really struggling with this. God, please help me build my faith. And if you don't know where to find the promise for your situation, get one of those God's promises. Go online. Do something. But get a resource where you can figure out where God's promises are easily located. And get into God's word and start seeing what God has promised to you. You know, one of the things I've learned about men, especially new believers, we get real intimidated. Well, this book's big and all these guys know all this stuff. You don't have to know a lot of stuff. If you believe God, just find out what he says and keep believing him. Keep learning more and keep believing. Keep learning more and keep believing. And watch God work in your life. But when you pray, talk to God and say, God, build my faith, increase my faith, help me to understand this because I want to believe you. God wants you to believe him more than you want to believe him. So let prayer become powerful. And you know, don't, don't try to talk to God like anybody else. Talk to God like you do. Just develop that relationship. He doesn't need you to be somebody else. He needs you to be you. So use the power of prayer. Number two. There's also the power of knowing and believing God's promises. Start learning God's promises. Start learning God's promises. Here's what scripture says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The more I hear God's word, the more I read a promise. You know what I used to do? I've told this story, and I'm out of time. I need to really hurry here. When I was in the worst season of my entire life, some almost 20 years ago now, there were some mornings I went down to the local shopping center and sat in the parking lot in my car with my Bible and just sit there with all my hurt and pain, and I'd take one promise that met, met the situation I was in, and I would read it over and over and over and over again out loud. And the reason I was doing that, I knew what God said, but I was having trouble believing it because of my circumstances. You don't have to know the whole Bible, but you need to know what God's promised to you. Because if you don't know what he's promised, you don't know what to believe. Believe his promises. So you need to know the promises of God. Start learning the promises of God. Start memorizing God's promises. And then as you memorize them and as you begin to say those promises and quote those promises, faith will start arising. And all of a sudden one day you'll get out of bed and it's like, you know what? This is going to work. I'm going to kill this giant. I'm going to cut his head off once and for This is going to work because faith starts rising. Faith comes from God's word. And then the third thing there, the power of verbal agreement with God.
You know, in, in Old Testament days especially, in early history times, when, when guys made contracts, when they made agreements, covenants, a lot of times they'd just do this. They would say what they were going to do, and they'd shake hands on it, and my word was my contract. Okay? We need to learn that in order to receive from God, we need to get an agreement with Him. Now, I'm going I'm to say this the best way I know how. We need to stop running around saying, well, it's not going very good. The enemy's going to destroy me. The enemy's going to make me lose my job. The enemy's going to make me lose my family. The enemy's going to do this. Stop running around agreeing with the enemy. Why? Because I'm giving him license to do that to me. And start running around when you're facing a challenge. You know what? Just agree with God. You've heard this before, and, I, and I've said it before. But, you know, you, you hear about the, the, the idea of confession. You know, confessing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The whole concept of confession is saying what God says. That's what scriptural confession is. It's not making up something off the wall. It's saying what God says. What does God say about your situation? Say what God says. Say what God says. It's confession. It's verbal agreement. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But don't run around giving the enemy room to work in your life. Start confessing what God has said and agree with God and say, this is what God says about my situation. I'm going to stand on this and I'm not going to give up until this giant's dead and I go on to the next thing. Because there are battles out there. And we've got to fight. Don't ever, don't ever, ever, ever let anybody come to you and say, well, this confession stuff's a bunch of nonsense. No, it's not. It's all through God's word. People win battles when they say what God says. David said, you know what? This guy's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's not even in covenant with God. He can't stand against us. God said he couldn't. I'm going to go out and kill him. And you know what? He did. He did. Some of you guys got giants in your lives tonight. We're going to grab the word of God and we're going to kill those giants may take a day, it may take two, it may take 20, it may take months, but we're going to kill those giants. Okay, say it with me. We're going to kill those giants. Last question. What are you doing with your sword? What are you doing with your sword? Let me pray. Father, let that question linger in our hearts and let us answer it tonight. Let us respond to it. From our hearts, in agreement with you, this is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's the sharpest weapon out there. So I'm going to take it and use it. Not believe it. I'm going to take it and use it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks.